The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus Amadeo. I need the football. McManus Lamadeo and Graven Associates and the Shiawassee Six. The Six? They got the Six in there, huh? Alright. Live audience is here. We're going to talk about somebody from law school. You know, you've heard me tell law school stories before. This is a different one. At Cooley, um, there were some amazing people utterly amazing people that I've got to know. There were people that I admire greatly. There are people that I connected to. And this story is not about one of those people. This story is about an absolute pain in the ass that just kept showing up. And you ever had that person in your life who you communicate with just because you knew them for a while. What was the old saying? They've been friends with somebody for 20 years or were you their friends 20 years ago? Big difference. And this individual, he irked me. I'll tell you, he sent me an email that just totally set me off. And I thought about my history with this individual. And um, I'm going to share a story without putting her name out there. So... I broke it down to eight parts. There's eight brief parts we'll talk about. And I know people want to hear the Tommy Morrison live, and we will get to Tommy the Machine Gun, Tommy the Duke Morrison. Chris, I gotta tell you, as a white kid who boxed, we all looked up to Tommy Morrison. Um, I wouldn't have married two women at the same time, got HIV, but he was a hell of a boxer. We'll get to Tommy Morrison, but today we're talking about a former Cooley classmate and let me tell you how the story starts. We'll just call this person the train. You know what I mean? Because you saw a real script. Right. All right. Okay. I want to take you guys back. The year was 2004. Okay. Hey, Jesse Smart. Hey, Mike. And Nancy, the sixth do ride again. In August of 2004, I go off to law school. And I'm in Jumpstart. Jumpstart's orientation. And in orientation, there was like 1,200 of us, right? We're in this auditorium, and there is Dr. Patricia Wilson speaking, and Norman Fell, and all these people that really, Paul Zielinski. All right. I'm not going to bash too many of them tonight. There'll be some intertwining. And what they did was at Cooley, they said to us, you need to learn about diversity and learn to intermingle. And you guys come from all 51 states, including Puerto Rico. So what we want to do is have you guys branch out and get to know each other. Then what they did, after making this profound announcement, is put us together by geography. So... The New York and the New Jersey kids, there were like signs, so you had to sit next to these people. 
And this guy was from New York. And he was, like, suited up, suit and tie, and he would be suited and tied for every class during law school. And I was lucky enough to start with him, be in classes with him, be in an externship with him, call him after the bar exam. I gave him career advice, which went terribly wrong. And then it, finally there was Facebook drama. We're going to go from there A to Z here. Let's start with Jumpstart. So they're talking to us about this Nelson Denny test, which was complete bullshit. You heard me bitch about this, right? Yeah. And Dr. Wilson, this hideous person, looks and personality and brains. She was saying, oh, I'm not a lawyer, but I know good lawyers. And she pointed to this poor idiot and said, you're going to be a great lawyer. Now, his IQ was probably higher than mine. And we're all sitting together in the New York, New Jersey kids, and we're talking about different things and blah, blah, blah. And they're going on about how we're going to set the world on fire. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, let's stop. Here's what I knew about these people. We were all at Cooley in 2004, which meant we couldn't get in anywhere else. So I said, we're going to be fighting. We're going to be successful by working hard. Nobody wanted to work hard. All they wanted to do was go drinking, right? And this guy, he was like a geek, but he was very clear from day one. He was going to be protective of his social life. So... Have you ever had one of those conversations with somebody um, when you thought it wasn't private? Like you're calling a friend and you're thinking, hey, it's private call. So I go to this corner of the auditorium where nobody is at. And I'm having a call with Jerry Dowdy. Jerry Dowdy, may he rest in peace. Like a father figure to me. And Jerry says... So how's it going so far, Billy? And I'm like, oh my god, Jared. There's all these fucking geeks. They all think they are important. We're stuck in this auditorium. I said, and, you know, it, it's just pathetic. And Jerry says, what do girls look like? And I'll, I said to him, well, there's some good-looking ones. I start describing them. I said, believe me, I am not going to go after any women until my second term once I get my grades up. Then I'm going to take this place by storm. These underrated are going to go out drinking tonight. And I'm talking this shit about people. And in this quiet, dark corner to the left, he's there. I'm thinking I'm this private conversation with Jerry. This poor idiot hears everything. And he's crying. I'm like, oh, shit, Jerry, I got to go. I'm like, hey, man. Why are you crying? He's like, I heard you on the phone, and you think I'm an idiot. And I, I mean, I, I'm not an idiot. I had a very good LSAT. Now, I, I got a question how good your LSAT was if you were at Cooley. But okay, so right now we start a deficit. I'm feeling bad for this poor geek. But yo, I wasn't talking about you. I was just trying to sound cool to my friends back home. He goes, oh, okay. All right. So now, the guy... We got these three categories, right? I've always said this. There's the sex appeal category. That's people just worried about their looks. Then there's the intellectual category. 
these are the people that think brains are the way to the world. And then there's the work ethic category. Now, looking at this guy, you would think he'd be in the work ethic category. I've always said, I go in the category three by choice, because I'm smart to be in category two. Um, pretty cool to be in category one, but I like to hang in category three. But category three thinks the promised land is category two. So I try to explain, hey, listen, we can control all the categories. And Jesse Smart, this is definitely not about you, my friend. I have a lot of respect for you. So I'm telling this guy, who looks like a geek, hey, let's study together. And he says to me, you study too much. What? We're in law school, right? Okay. So Cooley, in his infinite wisdom, put us in all classes together. All these New York and Jersey kids were in the classes together, and they thought... They were better than everybody else. It was like a scene from Jersey Shore with less intellect. I mean, let me tell you, guys, let me help you out here. If it's November in Michigan and you're a white kid with a tan, you went to the tanning booth when you should have been doing multiple choice. Oh my God. This poor bastard. We're in classes together. And I said to a group of people, hey, how about every Friday night, we get a study room for three hours and do some extra work? And you would have thought like I was advocating for beating animals or something. What are you, crazy? It's Friday night. And the people I was talking to, I purposely went to people that I thought would have no social life. So now, I'm confused because the geeks are talking shit to me. The geeks are saying, you're working too hard. And it was confusing because I explained these three categories. So I'm thinking, okay. So we're in these classes together. And Cam, you know what I'm talking about. Cam's on there. It's good. So we're talking in Con Law 2. And we got Chris Schaefer. And what this guy would do is, Every class he was in, he would sit in the front row, suit and tie up. And he was one of these people that, I mean, in addition to being weird looking, he would try to always raise his hand real quietly when somebody was like flubbing up a question so he could try to get points. And the problem was 100% of the final, 100% of your grade was based on the final. It didn't matter how good you did the goddamn Socratic method, right? But you can tell us this poor idiot. Ooh, I have an answer. One day, we're talking in Con Law 2 about freedom of speech. And this is when shit got weird. We're in freedom of speech section of Con Law 2, which, by the way, Con Law 2 now makes up 17 of your 34 MBE questions in Con Law. This is important stuff. And we're talking about public forums and private forums and semi-public forums. And, you know, because where speech is located tells you how much level of protection you get. So, you watch where we're going here. So, we're in this class. And Chris Schaefer, Professor Chris Schaefer, good guy, he says, What do you think about a computer? Is a computer a public forum? And I said, he calls on me. My hand wasn't raised. Bill, what do you think? And he called on me because I always went to his office hours. I was like the pain in the ass always trying to work. So much has changed. 
So I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, Professor Schaefer, I think when we're talking about computers, the computer itself and the World Wide Web may be a public forum. But I think we got to go a step further. Where's the computer located? Is it on a law school server? Is it on an employee server? You know, where are we talking about this? And he goes, okay, let's take it a step further, Bill. Can you search for pornography on a computer and have the freedom of speech to search for it wherever you want? And I said to him, well, if you're going to search for porn on the web, I think if you do it on your private computer, you should have fair game. But like if you were doing it on a law school computer, you can't just go searching for websites. And what does this geek say? He raises his hand. Wait for it. Professor Schaefer, what if you only have access to the computers at school? How else would you search for porn if that was your only option? <laughs> this poor kid, he wants to look up for he wants to look up porn in the Cooley Library. Bro! Stop! And you gotta understand something. This is like 2005. It wasn't on the phone. Yeah, you had to type in porn. And I was always in there. Like, I was always in the Coley Library. And I'm thinking to myself, wait. Were people using these computers to search for porn? Holy shit. And he was, like, real passionate. I disagree, Mr. Amadeo. You should be able to search for porn wherever you want if it's on a computer. No. Dude, stop. Not on a law school computer. What are you doing? And why did you just out yourself to the entire Conlow 2 class? But, I digress. And you might say, well, is that the last time you spoke to him? No. Because, because we were in the Innocence Project together. And the Innocence Project, so I'm grateful to my time in the Innocence Project. Even though I think Norman Fell is a complete moron and he was one of the supervisors, I learned a lot in the Innocence Project. And the term before we went to the Innocence Project, they called us in, like the end of week 15, hey, you're going to be in the Innocence Project next term, let's um, talk about what your requirements are, what we expect you to do. And at the IP... They put up this thing, right? It was like a draft sheet. Who was picked first and who was picked second. I like the fourth round pick. And he's like the first pick. But we know each other, right? So I'm like, hey man, what's going on? Oh, hello. <laughs> so we're sitting down the Innocence Project. And they come in and they say, you have to read all these books during term break. And there was like six books, right? Now, me... Understand something. And you gotta understand, there's a problem with me, right? Because I take shit literal. If you tell me to do something, I actually do it. I'm not one of these people who doesn't do it. I, you tell me to do it, I do it, right? Jesse, he does, but we'll get there. So, I read these six books over break. I went through every one of them. I read them, right? So we're at the IP, and I'm like, all right, we're in the Innocence Project. I read all my books. I made copious notes. I'm all pumped up. 
And I go up to him. And I said, hey. Now, I'm assuming at this point he's read these books, too. I'm assuming we all had to read these books. I mean, I was busting my ass to get these books done. And there was this one chapter about Ron Williamson. Ron Williamson was a man who was deemed to be the next Mickey Mantle. He lived in Oklahoma. He was a star baseball player in high school. He was going to be a second-round pick from the Oakland A's, and he confessed to a murder he didn't do. And his whole life got shattered, and eventually DNA proved it wasn't him. And I go up to this guy, and I said, hey, what did you think of those books, Door and Break? And he looks at me, yes, yes, the books. But that Ron Williamson, huh? <laughs> now, you can understand me, all right? Krim Lowell, baseball, assigned reading. I'm on top of this shit. What'd you think of Ron Williamson? He looks at me like I'm crazy. And I said, you believe that? I mean, the guy could have been a Hall of Fame baseball player, and here he is, his life gets destroyed. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm starting to get suspect right now. Wait, did you read these books? And I said, the guy hit 586 in high school. So he gets brazen. He goes, you know what? I'm calling you out. Like, what do you mean? It's like, I don't believe you read these books. How would you know that he hit 586 in high school? I said, dude, it was on page two of the chapter we were required to read. They led with it. This guy hit 586 in high school. So now I'm getting really frustrated. You didn't read. And they all come in and nobody read. Like, I was the only one that read over break. And fell. He looks at me like I'm crazy for doing the assignments. At the Innocence Project, we were required to do 90 hours for the term. 90. I did over 380 my first term, right? Now, this is where things get a little bitter. Me and this individual, and one other person, we were assigned this really big case. This really huge case. And I'm all pumped up. And we had cards to get into the Cooley Center whenever we wanted, like we were professors. So I'm talking to him and this girl, we're working on this case. And I said, hey, Friday night, we come to the Innocence Project. We order some food and we work our ass off on this case. Who's with me? He says he'll be there. The girl says she'll be there. So I'm all pumped up. I said, I'm going to get you guys food. I go up there with a couple pizzas. I'm all pumped up. I got my card. I'm like, where is everybody? <laughs> this is weird. I don't know. I mean, I don't see anybody, right? I'm here alone. I start taking notes and this and that. The girl comes up like an hour late. And she says, hey, B. And she's dressed like club clothes. She just said, we're going to hang out tonight. So, well, did you do your party assignment? Well, no, it's Friday night. You said we were going to hang out and eat pizza. While we weren't! Oh, my God. So, she says to me, well, I thought we were going to the green door. Who said we were going to the green door? The green door is this bar in Lansing. 
And all the cool locations to go to Green Door. Had a big green door on it. I, I wasn't a green door person. So she's dressed up to the dials in the club and she says, Well, I'm going to the green door. I'm like, well, I'm not going to the green door. I'm working. And I don't know where he is, but you said you were gonna work. Now I'm getting pissed. We got an assignment to do. There's a guy's life on the line here. We're trying to find a way to overturn this conviction. And like I told Norman Fowl, I know I'm never doing criminal law, but I just care about the project. Oops. <laughs> so she leaves and doesn't do any work. She calls me pissed off. And I'm still in the room at the Innocence Project. She calls me pissed off. She's like, let me tell you something. Nobody's working tonight. And he's here and he's dancing by himself at the green door. So the geek is sitting there with a friggin' pink squirrel dancing by himself at the green door. She's doing her club thing, and I'm trying to work on the project. I am losing my shit. My God. My third term in the Innocence Project, and yes, I was there for three because I became a TA. Well, second term, let's talk about that first. My mom died, second term of the Innocence Project. And I had to fly home to Jersey. That was hell. I'm making medical decisions for mom. And I still did more hours than anybody in the clinic despite being gone for a few weeks. And he comes up to me. Now, this guy, and I understand something. Understand. Follow me here. We knew each other from day one. We were in classes together. We're in the Innocence Project together. He comes up to me and he says... I heard your mom died. I'm like, yeah. Because well, I'm not comfortable talking about this. He walked away. Why would you even bring that up? Like, are you out of your mind? And dude, mom's dying. I'm like one step away from the clock tower that term. And this poor moron comes up to me to tell me he doesn't want to discuss the issue. He didn't have to broach the subject. But okay. So... He tells me we're supposed to go to Michigan State to do this assessment or whatever. Now, I don't know my way around Lansing. This is before I had a GPS. And those of you that know my sense of direction, it doesn't equate to my intellect. I can't find anywhere without GPS. This moron comes up to me and he goes, oh, I've been to MSU. I'll drive with you. Oh, shit, great. He's coming with me to MSU, so I'm not going to get lost. I'm good to go. Well, let me tell you something. I was a little sus right now that he just wanted a free ride to MSU. Because as we're driving on the highway, and there's these big signs that says, Turn right, MSU. I said to him, Hey, are we turning right? I don't know. What? So, now I'm trying to find my way to cement after he lied at me to get the free ride to come there. We park, and this poor guy's out of shape. He can't walk, and he's sweating like a. Ch it was like it was pouring down his old suit as we're trying to walk to the thing. And we get in there, and there's this picture of Ron Williams. I said, "Hey, Ron Williams, remember that one?" He goes, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Oh my god!" But then he tells me how he's just marrying this girl. He met her online. It was love at first sight. And I'm like, oh, good for you. 
So this girl used to come by the Innocence Project all the time to drop him off food. And apparently they were in like a weight loss thing together. Because what he started to do was wear this Curves calorie counter on his belt every day. And you could see it a mile away. Now it's confusing because I think Curves is for women. But he would wear this thing and she would drop off his food. And I would see her every day. Hey, how's it going? And I, part of me was wondering, hey, how's she have time to be there today to drop off his food? He comes up to me one day. He's like, hey. Um, my wife would like to invite you over for dinner. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. He goes, will you be bringing a date? I said, oh, should I bring a date? I'll, I'll bring someone. We would prefer you not bringing a date. Okay. So I'm thinking, they prefer me not bringing a date. They're probably trying to set me up, right? So one of the goofy friends or whatever. I don't know. Fine. So I'm heading over there. And it was going to be on a Thursday night. Thursday night football was on. Back then I'm betting 100 a game. Things weren't as good back then. But I'm like, I said, okay, well, I'll come to your house and we'll watch the game. He says, how will we watch the game? What do you mean? Well, we don't have a television here. Oh, God. What do you mean I have a TV there? Let me tell you, dude, in law school, I would pay for cable before eating. If I wasn't able to watch TV, I would have lost my mind. But here's these two people. They met on Match.com. And they don't have a TV there. And they're inviting me over to this goddamn dinner. I, okay, whatever. Fine. I missed the goddamn Eagles game to go to this dinner. So we're, I'm supposed to go at 7 o'clock. Well, she calls me. She goes, B, he has to work till 9. I'm like, oh, damn, you know, we'll, we'll reschedule. She goes, no, 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 no. Can you come over at 5? I'm like, what? Well, why don't you come over at 5? Because he is going to be in the office till 9. What are you talking about? Well, why aren't you coming over at 5? He won't be here till 9. Like, what? listen, this is weird. I don't know. Um, I, I, I can't do it. I'll, I'll see you later. I'm going to skip it. So he calls me. My wife asked you to come over at 5. You go over at 5. And he's crying on the phone. Like, dude, are you going to be there at 5? No. I, I don't know what you guys had planned. <laughs> never went for the free meal lesson in life okay so we make it through cool we graduate past the bar and my first big job in jersey uh, i'm working for this guy who's like this hometown hero he's got me working my ass off and um i don't get paid i get screwed over at this first job and i get fired and then I ended up working for this lawyer in Northfield. This lawyer was an Italian guy that went to Cooley. And I worked through the holidays for this guy. And I told him I would work free of charge. And he said to me, okay, show me what you got. I busted my ass. Made him all sorts of money. And he hired somebody who went to Rutgers. Who's now at this bar. And I told him that day, it's going to be the biggest mistake of your life. And I come back 
to Michigan, but I got to go back to Jersey for Ickle. Continuing legal education classes. And at this point in my life, I'm like, this sucks. I'm in Michigan on license. I'm going to take the Michigan bar. I got a Jersey license. It's 2009. You can't get a job. And I went to work for this firm that screwed me over. I proved myself another firm. Now, I I'm just going to say life was rough. And then it came to a turning point. April 13th, 2009. Let me tell you what happened. That was the day the great Harry Callis passed away. Harry Callis was an amazing broadcaster with the Phillies. I remember that day like it was yesterday. I'm at my Ickle classes in Jersey. I'm unemployed. I'm the only one in these classes unemployed. I lost the first job because they were basically going at each other. The second job, they basically said no after I proved myself. I'm starting this tutoring company in Michigan. I'm studying for the Michigan bar, but I got to keep my Jersey license. And I am at the low end of my career. But it's this geek's birthday. And I saw it on Facebook. It was his birthday. So I call him. Happy birthday, man. How you been? You still with the you still with the girl, whatever they broke up. So he wants to know what's happening with me. So I tell him, hey, this one firm, they screwed me out of money for six months. This other firm, I worked my asshole for free now with somebody from Rutgers. I said, I don't know, man. I'm at these Ickle seminars. I'm unemployed. Life is rough. But I believe I'll get through it. How are you doing? And he's telling me how he's doing doc review. And, like, the brochure we learned at Cooley is not quite what's happening. Life sucks, right? The economy sucks. Lawyer jobs are tough. And I said, hey, you know what, though? We're smart. We're hardworking. We'll get through this. What does he say to me? After telling him how they didn't pay me for six months of work. After telling him how the other firm used me for six weeks during the holidays not paying me, he says to me, can you give me the names of those firms because I want to apply there and can I use you as a reference? What? Did you hear the fact they didn't pay? I don't even know what to say. I said, you want to apply for the jobs I didn't get? Because, well, if I use you as a reference, why would me have any weight in 2009 as a reference? This poor guy. And I'm like, at this point, like, okay, you know what? I, I'm cutting off communication. I am, I'm so done with this guy. And he disappeared. He starts writing these science fiction books, right? Oh, my God. Anyway. Years pass. Things change a little bit. And he emails me. And I'm in this moment, right? It's during COVID. And during COVID, man, I'll tell you, you were open to communication for certain things. You had some interesting times during COVID. So he, he emails me. And he says to me, B, you have really become successful. And I see you've really done big things. And, um... 
I just need some advice because life is really tough. Now, I'm thinking to myself, man, we've been out of law school at this point 12 years. And it sucked, right? That I, even though he frustrated me at times, there was the weird thing with the wife. He was getting me law school and MSU. He tried to apply for jobs. He was lazy at the Innocence Project. I mean, there were so many things that just, blah. But he says to me, can I give him a call? And I'm like, shit, yeah, I'll call you, man. How are you holding up? And he always had better grades than me in law school. I said, look, you're a smart guy. And and he starts whining that him and his wife broke up. And he don't know if I'll ever find love again. And this is where I I gave some career advice, which went completely wrong. I said to him, well, oh, let me... Let me stop. He says to me, he's going to go teach in a community college. And I said, well, hey, there you go. Killing two birds with one stone. He's like, what do you mean? Listen, maybe education's your niche. And as far as that social life, it's going to be a lot of women impressed with your knowledge of literature. He goes, I don't understand. I said, come on. The 19-year-old girls can't get to the four-year colleges. The 40-year-old divorcees. Said, you're going to get a lot of female attention when you're a community college professor. And he says to me, my God, I would never use my position as a professor to get women. <laughs> what? I mean, look, no offense to professors out there, but is that one of the reasons they get those jobs? Because they don't really want to work in the real world? So, he got really offended. How dare I tell him to leverage his community college adjunct professorship to get dates? I mean, if there was a 40-year-old consenting relation, who cares? No, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's called me on my morals. You always date a lot of women in law school. And I'm starting to question things now. And I'm like, dude, you were meeting that weirdo on Match.com who tried to get me to come over when you were working late and you advanced to that position. I don't know who which one of us is weird, okay? So, all right. We stopped talking. I heard his feelings at community college advice. He comes back on Facebook again. And he sends a request. And I don't know. I'm just taking requests. And I post in the Cooley Alumni page, which if you haven't been there, check it out. And I'll tell you, in the Cooley Alumni page, if you're having a bad day, you will feel better when somebody comes to that page. So, I'm posting about this false threat of terrorism case. And I said, first of all, the statute's a strict liability offense in Michigan, which I don't get. There's a freedom of speech component to it. There's this, there's that. And then he chimes in, and he says, I don't like the statute because I think punishment should be greater than 20 years. I'm like, what? What, 20 years for talking shit? And then he starts screaming at me, I want to see your client do 20 years in prison, exclamation points. So I email him, I said, ah, ha, ha, you're joking. He goes, no, I'm not. I really want to see your clients go down. I'm like, you son of a bitch. 
you know what? You got me lost on the way to MSU. You heard the conversation between me and Jerry and took it wrong. You didn't show up at the Innocence Project when you were dancing by yourself. You and your freak wife trying to get me to come over for some kind of weird menage a trois. You get pissed off me when I gave you advice on teaching at community college. And now you want my client to go down? Kiss my ass! That's the last I heard of him. Um, Cooley, though, surprisingly, if you want to be in the benchmark at Cooley, which is where they post their successes, winning a murder trial will not get you on there, but a self-published sci-fi book will. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I am William Amadeo. Mm-hmm. We get professional here, right? Yeah. From McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And you know it's coming, right? I do. Six. The Shiawassee Six. That should excite enemies in Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're probably thinking... I mean, they're convinced I'm crazy at this point, right? Yeah, probably. Do they realize I'm smarter than them? No. That, that's the problem, right? Yeah, they don't get it. Gotta be careful. When the person is crazier than you and smarter than you, and you know who I'm talking about, my enemy? One of my enemies, but you yeah. know what particular idiot I'm referring yeah, to yeah. right now. Yeah. I think they're what, sitting there eating popcorn, waiting for me to say something wrong to try to send me to a <laughs> grievance board. Mm. Oh, that's good. Well... Let me not waste your time tonight, because tonight there's nothing grievable. Tonight, we're going to kick back and talk about the 700 level at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. For those of you that don't know, Veterans Stadium is where the Phillies and Eagles played in the 80s and 90s. Today, it's Citizens Bank Park for the Phillies and the Link for the Eagles. But back in the day... Veteran Stadium, that was uh, your first sport memories. It was 60 miles from Atlantic City, so it's now a ride. Mm-hmm. And one of th- we were, you know, we were poor, and one of the things we used to do was take the Atlantic City bus to Veteran Stadium to watch the Phillies and Eagles play. And because tickets, they were very cheap back then. But, you know, based on social economics at the time, we couldn't really afford much. So we would get tickets to the 700 level. Now, for those of you that don't know what the 700 level at Veterans Stadium is, holy shit. It was at the top. And I want you to think about who was at those games, the 700 level at the vet. Let's start with this. The bus station on Atlantic Avenue in Atlantic City. That's where everything started, right? You had to take the bus to the game because we'd have a car. And the bus station in Atlantic City, I want you to think about Ducktown in the 90s. You've heard me talk about this. And the bus station is where poor people who didn't have transportation would go. I want you to think about this. If you ever move into a new environment, especially like college kids or law students, never move where there's a bus station. 
because bus stations represent the poorest and the heavy crime areas. And the Atlantic City bus station, that was a place for crime, man. It was a normal haven for drug dealing, assaultive behavior, this and that. And being a small white kid, it was one of the few ways of transportation to get to Philadelphia. If you went to New York, you went to the bus station. So you would get your money together for the bus station. Which was an adventure. I could tell you times. Just, you know, and you know, it's funny. Growing up in AC, I know people have different views on this, but when I hear people, like, talk shit, or, like, idiots that are watching and say things like they think they're tough, I mean, how many of these people have really had their backs against the wall? How many people have been shot at? Stabbed? Almost raped, brutalized, robbed, mugged, whatever you want to use it. Have you ever had a loved one about to get killed and you put your life in front of them? I gotta tell you, that is more dangerous than dealing with a judge who doesn't know how to rule or a prosecutor who doesn't know how to do a complaint. Let me just be clear about that. And there's many judges I appreciate. What I don't appreciate is when a judge just rubber stamps stuff for a prosecutor because they're worried about getting reelected. They don't have the balls to actually make a proper ruling. But again, growing up in Ducktown, it's kind of a joke compared to some of the shit I see today. I mean, what are they going to do? Hurt you with their words? Or these computer tough people? Give me a break, dude. Stop. Stop. And you would risk your life and limb to go to the Atlantic City bus station to watch your beloved Eagles or Phillies play, and you had just enough money to get a ticket to the 700 level. So the 700 level. Let me tell you about my compatriots at the 700 level. There were many unemployed factory workers, many casino workers that got laid off. It was like a human urinal. If you were at the 700 level, and let me tell you, what a treat being small, young, and sober at the 700 level at Veteran Stadium. I mean, you learned some stuff at that 700 level. You were one of the few sober ones. You were up there with the poorest of the poor. Poor people that had a love of sports. And one thing, and this is why I never got about Detroit and Lions fans and Tiger fans. I mean, no disrespect by this. But when we were struggling to go up to watch the Eagles and the Phillies play, we didn't leave the game. If it's 10-1 Padres in the 8th, we're staying. And we had the hope and belief that somehow the Phillies were going to come back and win. Usually it didn't happen, okay, back then, but... Man, it was something that you struggled to get to the game and you were going to stay to the last pitch. You were going to stay till there was double zeros on the clock if it was a football game. And the stadium was horrible. Amazing memories, but for football, there were so many guys that got injured because the stadium was not properly maintained. Both the Phillies and the Eagles would play on the stadium and the divots from like first, second, and third base, they would come out and leave them there during football games, and a guy could break his ankle real bad. I mean, it just wasn't a good condition. But you know, the funny thing is, when you're poor, 
and everybody else is poor, you don't realize you're poor, right? You just think this is life. So throughout this chaotic time, there was some joy. And I will say, going to the vet, that was my escape in a way. You know, you'd want to go up there to escape the horrors. And then on the bus ride to Veterans Stadium, it wasn't too bad. The bus ride back was not too bad. You usually weren't going to get assaulted on the bus. The danger happened when you got off the bus and you had to, like, run a block and a half home in the dark. That's when shit got a little iffy, you know, but... You felt this level of safety, like a temper, it was like a band-aid, you know, on the bus. And I think things really changed for me on July 2nd, 1993. Now, baseball historians will know this day. This is the day the 93 Phillies and the San Diego Padres played a doubleheader that lasted over 12 hours. Game one had three rain delays, and they would not call the game. Game two started like one thirty in the morning. There was no rain, but it went to like 4. And it was a crazy day. Let me tell you about that day. That was the day I turned 17 years old. And I was never a big birthday person. I didn't, till this day, I'm just not a big birthday person. And I'm working at Bosco's for my summer job. And there's a few people that want to go to the game. And they're going to take a bus up to the game. Now, Bosco's at the Shore Mall. So, first of all, you already called a break because you weren't, like, back home catching the bus. Now there were buses from the Shore Mall to Philadelphia. Okay. And, you know, you figure you'll come back. The game started in the afternoon. I worked real early. Got out of work, it was like 6 a.m. to 2. You came in, you swept up. The game started like 4.30, 4.44, something like that. And you'd get to the game right in time, get there early. And a few guys on my shift wanted to go to the game. Now, I don't tell them it's my birthday. It's just ironic that it was my birthday that day. So we go up to the game. And the guys I went to the game with, they were an interesting breed. Um, They loved their pot. They loved their beer. And... They want to go see the Phillies play. So we all put our money together. We got some tickets. Now, let me explain to you about these guys. The Boscov's workers I went to the game with. They were not diehard sports fans. And this was before the internet was on your phone. You actually had to talk to people on these rides, right? right? Communication. I think the internet is beautiful. It's amazing. But I also think it has actually limited our communication. We don't talk as much anymore. We text or we look at our phone. And I'm guilty and I'm on my phone all the time. But here we are going to this game. And it's my birthday, but I don't tell anybody it's my birthday. And this game would kind of change things for me. It really would change things and maybe look at things so differently. We get up to the game, and we are in the sky at 700 level. You're yeah, just looking down. And um, at the game, there were some people I was on the mock trial team with. 
junior year was my mock trial year, right? And we're me and the boss guys, guys, we're in our dingy jeans and our work clothes. And here are these Margate kids from mock trial and they're at the game. And they're intoxicated or they're high or whatever. And you see them in like the hot dog line at the old vet. We're waiting there just to eat some dogs, whatever, and um and they the conversation comes up. Oh hey Bill, how are you? Now these aren't people I like. These are people we needed each other. They needed my talent to advance the mock trial team to put on their college resumes. I needed to put something on my college resume and escape the hood for a while. It was a quid pro quo, but we didn't like each other. So at the social event, let me tell you, and they are dressed really nice. I'm in my dingy jeans and Boscov's work shirt, and they're dressed up like it's a social event, not a ball game. And they're bragging about their seats. They are in the 100 level of the vet. That was along the first and third baseline. That is where the rich people sat. And um, where are you sitting today, Bill? In the 700 level at Pride. And I looked down where these assholes were sitting. And I'm up in the sky. And with my drunken friends from Boston, who weren't really friends, we were just a game together. And the rain delays start coming. And as the rain delays start coming, the non-baseball fans start leaving. They don't want to sit in the rain. And there were three rain delays in this game, right? Game one, three rain delays. And the second game, like I said, would start at 1.30. Now, I'm watching Tony Gwynn play, Hall of Famer, rest in peace. And the 93 Phillies were a special team. They won the National League pennant. Lenny Dykstra, the dude, he should have won MVP that year. Barry Bonds got it. Darren Dalton, may he rest in peace. John Kruk, Terry Mahal, and Danny Jackson. Mitch Williams, who actually had a game-winning hit in the 10th inning. A relief pitcher getting a pinch hit. Walk off. The 93 Phillies were a fun bunch of guys. It was always cool to watch the 93 Phillies because they came from last place to winning the whole thing in the National League and almost beating the Blue Jays, lose four games to two. And as the second game comes up, people are gone. So my guys from Boscov's, they, some of them want to leave. We don't leave. Tell a sports fan, you don't leave. But here's what happened that day. I'm watching the rich kids sit there and have the time of their lives. And it's my birthday. And I'm like caught in this like abyss, if you would. Because I do know, whenever these games end, I gotta take that New Jersey Transit bus home and walk back to Willow Avenue, that block and a half or whatever. But what happened was, the Margate kids that were at the game, they stayed there. There weren't many people that stayed for both games, but these guys did, to their credit. They're having the time of their life and they're creating memories for a lifetime. And the guys I'm in the 700 level with, they start walking down to get better seats. The ushers don't care, turning a blind eye to this thing. They said, come on, Bill, let's go down. We can see where we want. No, I'm not leaving the 700 level. They're like, why? I'm not going down there with them. 
this is where we paid for. This is where I'm accustomed to. And this is where I'm staying. You don't have to be like, I was crazy. And I sat there till 4.30 in the morning in this section of the 700 level alone and just watched the game. And as you're watching this game and you're seeing people with the money and with the perceived power back then down in the premier seats and you're seeing your friends from boss clubs who are the same socioeconomic situation as you back then and they ran down I just felt like you know they're throwing you a few crumbs today under normal circumstances you would not be in those premier seats and uh I'm not going down there I'm holding my ground and it was important for me to stay at that 700 level it really was it was weird and you know it's so odd because September 6 2018 Right after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Eagles won the Super Bowl in January of that year. Opening night at the link. Scott Grable gets me tickets. And I fly in from Ann Arbor to Philly. I stay at a top-end hotel. I'm at these premier seats. And I thought to myself, in the same geographic area... I was that kid that couldn't afford to leave the 700 level. Now I'm in these premier seats. And the motivation for this blog tonight was Scotty called me today. And he said, hey, if the Eagles go to the Super Bowl, do you want to go to the Super Bowl? I'm like, what's it going to cost? I'm just curious. Probably 10000 bucks a head. We could do a live blog from there and this and that. And I got to tell you, I'm not going to go to the Super Bowl. And here's why. I looked at my docket, and I thought to myself, I could rearrange this. I could afford this. I could make this happen. I go to the Super Bowl. But then I thought, I have some cases during that time period. Got a lot of cases going on. I don't want to not go to work. Yes, it's the Super Bowl. I get that. I have commitments during that week. I have clients relying on me. And I love Scott Grable, let me be clear about that. But it kind of felt like I need to stay on the 700 level and do my work. And I'm not jumping down to the 100 level just because I could afford it now. I felt like being there for my clients was more important than hopping a plane and going to the Super Bowl. Because that Super Bowl used to be just a dream. But now what made that option reality is the lessons I learned at that 700 level and my clients not getting a week of me might have an adverse effect on their future. And it brought me back to when I would not go down to that seven first hundred level. I would not go down to, from seven to one. I wouldn't do it. And um, God, that brought me back. So, let me tell you, when I think back at the 700 level at the Veterans Stadium, the old vet, I don't miss people pissing near me or puking on me while I'm trying to watch a game. I don't miss that. But I always go to appreciate the lessons I learned up there. Having very little money in your pocket 
and struggling to go watch the game. Those games meant more to me than flying out and staying at the first class hotel. And there's something about the flash, you know? When Scott mentioned the Super Bowl today, the first thing I said was I came in and talked to him. I said, what do you think? And I looked at my doc and I'm like, you know, it's not the move. There's some things going on I'm pretty heavily involved with right now, if you don't know. And some enemies I'm sure are tuned in. Playing with little discovery rules and shit like that. But we got to make choices in life. And I'm really happy that I have the option to have those choices. But at the end of the day, even though the address is in the suburbs, I think I'm still that kid at the 700 level in the bed. And I am proud of that. That's it for now. Have a good night, guys. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.